We're in the closing series or sermon of this series that we've been in called Relationship Revival. And I really do strongly encourage you, if you've missed any weeks, go back. We have a YouTube, we have an Apple podcast, we got a bunch of different stuff available to you for free. And I encourage you to go get those. Uh, we've had four sermons, this being the fourth and final. Uh, the first one, we talked about the four kinds of love. So we need to know about love and what God says about love if we're going to have relationships. The second week was the eight great relationship killers. And so a bunch of different stuff, humor in there, but also serious tones in there. And so if you missed that, we go back and check that out. And then last week we talked about how it's important. We saw in Genesis that uh, Adam first understood his purpose and he knew his identity before God ever gave him his person. Before Eve ever came along, we know that he was walking. Now, he didn't have to have things perfect, and he didn't have to know everything, but it's important for us to be discovering our purpose. What does God have for me? My purpose is first before my person. And so if you missed that, go back and check out that week, all available online. But we're going to finish it up today with the five must of marriage. I believe that marriage takes commitment. I believe that it takes work. I think that you got to stick to it. And so I brought with me five things that I think must be a part of marriage. Now, you might be sitting here today going, hey, uh, I'm single. I'm not quite married yet. Well, perfect. You're getting like a hack. This is a cheat sheet for you. You get to go into marriage knowing some of these truths. Uh, you might be here and say, man, I've experienced a divorce, and uh, I, I don't know what my life is going to bring after this. Well, these are good truths for you to know and maybe share with loved ones, but also be prepared if God has something for you after divorce. Can I get an amen today? And so I'm excited for us to jump into these things. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you speak to us. And God, that's our desire this morning is that we hear from you. We want to know your truth. We don't want worldly wisdom, but God, we want your wisdom. I pray that you do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm grateful, as I said every week, we don't have to go through relationships just trying to figure it out on our own. Uh, thank God that the know-all be-all is not Oprah or Dr. Phil or something like that. Aren't you grateful we can go to a creator who has a plan and design for us in our relationships? So I said just a minute ago, there's these musts, there's these commitments, there's these things that we have to have when it comes to marriage. I believe that there's these, hey, we got to stick with this and fight for this because the reality is there's an attack on marriage. If the enemy can tear apart marriage, if he can break up the design for families and households, then I believe that he can weaken what God wants to do in our communities and in our kingdoms. The statistic is 50% of, of marriages end in divorce, 50%. Uh, you might think that that number is lower when it comes to the church, but it isn't. It's about the same, about 50%. We would, if you were to ask me, like, hey, would you go for something? That's about a 50-50 chance. If you came to me with a business idea or something else, like, hey, 50-50, I'd be like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> And so it's interesting with marriage, you know, people jump in and the, the statistic is 50-50. And we see in data now that a lot of people have the same philosophy I do. They're looking at the 50-50 and they're going like, nah. Uh, statistically, you see a lot less people are getting married. They're actually living together instead of getting married or they're just enjoying their single life and hookup culture is taken over. But what a huge disservice to the gift of marriage that God created and designed for us to enjoy. Can I get an amen today? So it's important. The statistics are six to hundred, six hundred to seven hundred thousand couples a year divorce. And I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here if you're someone who's experienced or walked through a divorce. I'm not trying to put any pressure or make you feel bad or, or feel like someone who's who's fallen short. But I would know this: any person I've ever met or talked to that's walked through a divorce would not wish that on anyone. They say to me, Pastor, I actually want to be in position to make sure uh, I can help others avoid this because divorce is hard. But at the same time, you know what God is the master of? 
God is the master of restoration. He's the master of taking broken things and putting them back together and seeing beautiful things come of it. Amen. So if you've walked through that, I believe that God's great, got great things for you ahead. Can I get an amen today? This is kind of just a gross, uh, bad humor. But when I was reading this data, I was like, I think this is actually a pretty funny stat. And there's nothing funny about divorce, but this is kind of funny. Um, One third of all divorces that are filed for are filed for in between January and March. And they say the result of that is because someone said after the holidays, I can't be a part of this family anymore. (laughs) I got to get that mother-in-law. One more year of that mother-in-law. I'm out of here. I thought that data was terrible. How grateful are you? That your church at the beginning of the year says, hey, we're going into a seek series. We're going to seek God. And in February, we're saying, hey, we're going to make sure our relationships are healthy so that we don't fall in that category. Amen. Young people, I want to encourage you before I get into my points. I thought this was amazing. Do you know that the, the highest success rate of an age range? So an age range of people who got married, those that have the highest success rate are of the age range of 28 to 32. So all this pressure of like, oh, you got to get married young. And oh my gosh, look at it. You're coming up on your 30s. You haven't even met your person yet. All this pressure. No, no. Data is saying it's okay if you wait on the Lord for what he has for you. Uh, now, I'm not against young marriage. Jess, got, Jess was 19 when we got married. Not, not for any specific age reason other than I needed her to graduate from high school because I was her youth pastor. So <laughs> that was the only reason we got, had to wait a little bit. But not against young marriage. Not against young marriage. Uh, But I'm just saying, that's a good thing for you to keep in mind. I wrote it down like this. People spend more time planning for a one-day wedding than they do a lifelong marriage. Man, we want this facility. We want it to look like this. And my dream is to be like this. And we put all this effort into one day. One day. And yet we neglect all the attention and energy and things that go into actually being married. You know what's crazy in life? You got to get a license for a bunch of important things. Uh, I know that if you want to go get a gun or you want to go hunting, you got to go do some of these things. You got to people say, oh, this is a very important thing. Dangerous things can happen if you don't do this right. So we need you to take this class and we need you to get a license. And so we have hunting licenses and CPL licenses, all these things. Driver's license. How many glad that there's a class for that, for driving? You got to go in. You got to take a class and you have to have knowledge and understanding about how to be a driver. But then in marriage, we're just like, you got a hundred bucks. Here's a license. (laughs) Spend the rest of your life just kind of fumbling through, making all these crazy decisions. I think it's important for us to be a people who invest in our marriages and in these relationships. You know, we need to have a test. We need to be able to understand conflict and what it means to be married and each family dynamic and plans for finances and all the things that go into marriage. Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The word here for honored, honor means this, valued with weight or emphasis. Marriage, when we think about our marriage, marriage is something that needs to be valued with weight and with emphasis. You know, unfortunately, we kind of have the Homer Simpson sort of life. It's like, oh, we're married now. We just kind of got to get through it. It's got to just get through. Oh, we're just tolerating life. We tolerate each other. We just get by. Many marriages are more roommates than they are anything else. How I many you know what I'm talking about? The scripture in Hebrews say, no, no, this is something that should be valued. It should be with emphasis and, and highly taken care of. Are you with me today? We need to first take a look at what the Bible says about marriage before we can discuss marriage. And we know this, that we don't have the right to define marriage because we didn't create it. 
So whenever culture says, let's define this as marriage and define this as marriage, we have to understand the creator of marriage is the creator of heaven and earth, and he's the one who gets to define it. That's why I'm grateful in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus begins to define it for us. He says, have you not read, he replied, that the beginning, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. That's two. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer one, or no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Listen, that end part there is not an accident. He's saying, listen, therefore, because this has come together, you have to pay strong attention that nothing comes in and separates this. There's a lot of things in culture. There's a lot of things in our life that are working to try to separate the union of marriage. And we got to be a people who are committed and definite about protecting our marriage. I believe in spiritual forces. You might think I'm a crazy person, but I could throw up news articles just from this week alone. But I could do it every single week. And you wouldn't look at that and say, wow, those are bad people. You would look at that and go, whoa, something evil is happening there. I believe in spiritual forces. The Bible talks about it. So the reality is this. I believe that there are spiritual forces. There is an enemy who is after and attacking our marriages. I sit down with people who've, who've had an affair or maybe they've messed up in their marriage. I sit down and they say, pastor, I don't even know what I was thinking. You know what that is? That spiritual attack that was on their life. So we got to learn to be committed in protecting and preserving, as the scripture said, honoring with emphasis our wedding. And our vows and our commitments, our commitments and our marriages, those vows weren't just made to one another. Those were commitments that we made before a pastor, but we made them before God. Yeah. And that's not us saying, eh, 50-50 chance, we'll see if I can stick in this marriage. It's no saying, God, I am committed. I wrote it down like this. Your marriage will only be as strong as your commitments. So let's get our commitments right. Let's be connected and committed to what God has for our marriage. Point number one is this. This is one of the things we must be committed to. This is the must of marriage. We must seek God. I shared with you the last couple of weeks, the journey of finding your person is you're on pursuit to your purpose. You're finding God, you're finding God. And prayerfully along the way, you bump into somebody who else is going after God and seeking God and pursuing God. And then you find each other and you say, hey, why don't we just do this together? And now you're together in pursuing and seeking God. And I said last week, a lot of people say, well, when I settle down, then I'm going to get all these things in order. I mean, oh, we discovered last week that's not true. But then the opposite happens when you get married. A bunch of people, they're pursuing God. They're going after their mate. They're trying to find their person. They're seeking God. Then when they get married, it's like, eh, I got her. I got him. I'll just put my feet up. And they stop seeking and they stop pursuing. And I wrote it down. A marriage will never thrive until both parties seek God. Got to be a people of seeking God. When they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Hey, what's the greatest commandment? Is it take care of the poor? Uh, Is it to raise good kids? Is it to make sure we have a successful business that glorifies you? What's the greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? They ask him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You'll never get relationships right until we get our first right. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. That's why the scripture says when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else gets added unto you. All of the other things that we need in our relationship and in our marriage and our friendships all come when we're a people who seek God first. God is our one before we find the one. 
And then after you find the one, God is still your one, but you get to do it with your one. I want to share it to you like this. God is always our number one and our spouse becomes number two. And then I got to let you know this. Your spouse is always number two. And some of us, we think the kids are number two. So the kids come before the spouse, or we think our careers, or we think our hobbies. But the design for marriage is this. God is always number one. And as we're both pursuing God as our number one, then when we find our number two, we with our number two get to continue together to pursue the number one. And am I making sense today? We shared a couple weeks ago, our spouse can't be our number one. Our spouse can't be our number one because that's called idolatry. It's having something before God. And so our mindset is always putting God first. When we get married, we get to seek the one with our two. What does that mean? We get to together go to church and seek God and be in his house. It's a must that we must have. Together, we get to serve in the house of God and serve in other ministries in our community and serve in the things that God has for us. We get to do that with our number two as we seek the number one. We get to impart into our kids. It's good that we're both seeking God and putting him first, but we got to make sure we're imparting that to our kids, not just for ourselves. We also get to be people who, with our number two, as we seek our number one, we have a lifestyle of prayer. If you were to follow us around our house, you would hear Jess and I say this phrase to us often, to each other often, oh, hey, got to tell you something. I met with this person and I talked to this thing or I got this email and you would hear us say this often. We need to be praying about this. We need to be praying about this. You know what your kids need to hear you say? They need to hear dad saying, I'm praying about this. You know what they need to hear mom say? I'm praying about this. Instead of dad just saying, I'll fix that. I can handle that. Give it to me. I'll take care of it. How about this? How about we let God take care of it? And how about they know that we're going to the father on these things? Many people say to me, well, she's the prayer. Oh, he's the theology guy. He likes figuring that stuff out. He knows more of that. No, together in all things, God put us together so that we can seek him. Can I get an amen today? This is a little bit repetitive. Point number two. I know I shared this a couple weeks ago, but point number two is this. We must learn how to fight. In a marriage, in a relationship, you must learn how to fight. My point a couple weeks ago was this. You got to stop fighting dirty. You got to stop fighting dirty. We got to learn how to fight. Uh, John John Goodham did a 16-year study. And he found within sitting five minutes, just sitting five minutes with couples who were in a fight, the study is actually funny because those that were selected over a 16 year period, anytime they were getting into a fight, they were told to stop, make an appointment, like literally save the fight and do it in front of this guy, which I think is pretty funny. And also a pretty good get off the hook. If you're a guy, oh, I feel like we're about to fight, call the guy. (laughs) So he did this, a 16 year study, and he would sit with these couples who were fighting for five minutes and he had a 91% success rate of predicting if they would stay together or not just based on how they fought. Why? Because they didn't have good conflict resolution. They attacked each other instead of attacking the problem. I wrote it down like this. Success in marriage isn't based on whether you fight, but how you fight. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for personal victory. I was trying to think of some of the dumbest fights we ever got in, Jess and I. And uh, I remember one, we were living in North Carolina. And this is how dumb fighting is. When you don't know how to resolve conflict well, this is the trouble you get yourself in. So we're living in North Carolina. I'm a youth pastor at a Word of Faith church. And down in the South, you know, when Easter rolls around, you think we do it up big here in Michigan. In the South, I'm talking they're wearing their hats. They're just all put together. So Easter is like a big deal. 
and someone had let us borrow their car for a season. We were both working, but we only had one car and someone like had extra time on a lease or something like that. So they're like, Hey, why don't you just use this car for a season? And so Jess drove it around. So I get in it. We're going to Easter and uh, it's a big deal. You know, again, I'm on staff. I'm a, I'm a man of God. And, uh, in the center council, like wouldn't latch, just flapped all around. So we're just driving around. It's like boom, boom. And, and I'm like, what's the deal with this? She's like, oh, yeah, it flaps around, which, like, I can't handle that, you know? It's like, but it's not her car. She don't care. It's just flapping around. And so I just say to her, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, will you, uh, will you, do we have, like, any Velcro? Will you remind me when we get home? I'll put some Velcro on that. And she looks at me, and she goes, Velcro? And I took that personally. <laughs> As if she attacked every kind of fixability that I have in my bone. Velcro? who did I marry? Are you an idiot? <laughs> she's like, I don't know. She, I was like, did she expect me like, you know, to get a hold of NASA and figure this out? Like I was like Velcro will think, you know, and on the way to church on Easter, we were having the biggest fight about Velcro. <laughs> and she's like, Rah. and she's like, when she gets to the church, she's like, I'm not, even, I'm not even going in there with you. And I was like, girl, you're not even making it to the parking lot. I'm kicking you out of here. <laughs> Let me see if I can fit you in that flappy cabinet. (laughs) And it's Easter. It's Easter morning. We're in there. We're mad at each other. We're fighting. Everybody's singing about the resurrection. And God, you saved us. And we get to go to heaven. And she's over here like, I wish you wouldn't have done that. I just want to go to hell. You know, like anything's better than being with him. Ah, You know, like. But here's the deal. It costs us our Easter. It costs us our Monday. It costs us our Tuesday. I mean, that that Velcro really got after us. It's stuck, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that was good. That was a, wasn't even in my notes. That was a good one. We didn't know how to fight. We didn't know how to resolve conflict. We didn't know how to fight well. And so you got to learn this stuff. James 1.19 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I know I've shared this all series. Take note of this. It's like, pay attention to this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because the human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me give you a little breakdown there. Quick to listen means this. When you're in an argument, disagreement, fight, whatever you want to call it, here's what you need to be. A person who's quick to listen. Quick to listen. You want to know one of the number one phrases you say when you're fighting? You're arguing with each other, and I guarantee someone's going to say this. That's not what I said. Do you want to know why you didn't hear what they actually said? It's because you weren't being quick to listen. Here's what else quick to listen means. It means you're actually not talking, but you're actually listening to what they're saying. Because many of you are quiet in an argument. You're quiet, but you're not listening. You're actually just reloading. And you're waiting for the next person to talk, and then you're going to blast them again. James is saying quick to listen. You got to listen. Listen here. Am I telling the truth today? The next thing it says is slow to speak. They teach you in preaching. They say uh, when you get your sermon put together and you have your notes, you wait on those notes, your sermon notes. You wait on the Lord. You wait. You wait because you want to make sure what you're saying is the Lord. It's not coming from yourself. So they give you an acronym for the word wait, and it's this. You ask yourself this question, why am I talking? Wait. Why am I talking? Why am I saying this to a congregation? Did the Lord put this on me to say, or why am I saying it? I believe it should be the same thing. When we're being slow to speak, we're waiting because we're going to ask ourselves, why am I talking? Or am I just saying what's coming off the tip of my tongue? We need to be a people who are asking ourselves, why are we doing this? Uh, I wrote it down like this. Some of you are winning the arguments, but you're losing the marriage. 
You're spiking the ball. You're hitting them with the zingers, but you're actually driving your marriage into the ground. Both male and female can do that. We always think it's the men that are, that are being that. No, both male and female. You can be winning the argument and losing the marriage. And then lastly, it says slow to become angry. You don't want to be in a fight or a conflict or a conversation when your adrenaline is up. You're mad. You're angry. You're stomping around the house. You're shuffling things. We all know how we get when we get angry. Say, so, hey, don't, don't let yourself get to that place and then have a conversation. Be, be slow to come angry. I wrote it down like this. Stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other. Men, we like to fix things, solve things. Do that when it comes to conflict resolution. Don't exaggerate it and blow it up and, and make it worse. Be, be who God called you to be. Come in and help solve the problem instead of attacking the person. Women, we like to care. you like to care for things. You like to nurture things and provide things and set things up. Come into that agreement saying, hey, I'm going to care for this conflict that's happening. We're going to take care of it and we're going to prepare things. Are you with me today? If you use the same amount of passion you use to fight about stuff, to solve things, I believe your marriage would go to the next level. Point number three is this. We must, this is a must in marriage. You must keep having fun. Think about this. When you're dating, think how crazy dating life was. I mean, you're just hanging out forever and it's midnight and you're like, hey, you want to see a movie? Yeah, at midnight. You're going to see a midnight movie. Now it's like, hey, do you want to go out? Are we going to be out past 9.30? You know, my knees start to hurt after 9.30. So I don't know. <laughs> you go out to eat. You have a good time. You're just talking. You're not planning anything. Here's a crazy idea, okay? You could be gone for the entire day. Gone out of the house for the entire day. And you never even planned it. You just went out and you're hanging out together all day, just having fun, having a great time. Now it's like, hey, we got to go to the store and do things. <sighs> How long is it going to be? Is this one of those I got to brush my teeth or am I good enough brushing my teeth before? <laughs> I'm telling all the truth today, aren't I? Because here's what's happening. This is what you got to guard against in marriage, okay? Here's what you got to guard against. Routines of life, schedule, things will steal all of your fun. It'll steal all your connection. Your life, job, schedule, routines, all the things, your whole relationship might be falling into these conversations. Have you paid the bill? The oil needs to be changed. Oh, by the way, don't forget dance class. Don't forget gymnastic class after that. Oh, don't forget about the one kid's got that birthday party. Oh, don't forget that kid needs a haircut. Don't forget the dog's got to go to that vet. Don't forget that uh, this sink is leaking. Oh, remember, you got to fix the Wi-Fi. It's been doing And your entire relationship has no fun to it. It's a must that we prioritize and we schedule and we make important fun. Because then what happens is the same old, same old. I'm going to really tell the truth now. Same old, same old just happens. You have no more fun. So it's the, what do you want for dinner? I don't care. Okay. Well, let's eat early because I got to go to bed early because, you know, last night I didn't get any sleep because the room was so hot. <laughs> Man, that was a great, what a fun night. The next day, hey, you don't get a choice for dinner. We got to eat the chicken before it expires. <laughs> That's fine, as long as we eat early, because, you know, last night I didn't get any sleep because of the storms. That's it, man. You guys are having fun. This is a good time. Life, like, we need to have fun. We need to have fun. Fun is kind of comes easy for me. I'm a seven on the Instagram. I like adventure. I like always kind of changing things up. Jess, Jess will get texts from me out of nowhere where she's like, you got 45 minutes. 
45 minutes. She's like, for what? I'm like, to get the kids ready. Where are we going? I'm like, Ohio. She's like, what? <laughs> but I realized for some, this is something you got to work at a little bit. You got you to be strategic about it. But listen, it's not only important for your marriage to have fun. It's important for your kids to see you having fun. It's important for them to look. We said a couple weeks ago that much of what our kids discover and, and come to learn about marriage is caught by watching their parents. They're inspired by grandparents, but caught by their parents. And so we got to make sure they're seeing us having fun. Can I get an amen today? So we got to have fun. I was um, talking to the kids the other day and um, a couple years ago, about three years ago, we, the Disney World opened up a brand new hotel. They call it their resorts. And so uh, we were like, how fun would it be to go to the most brand new? It was only like six months old, saved up, spent all this money on this brand new resort. And um, again, I'm, basically what you see in a sermon is like basically what you get uh, if you were to follow me around for a day. There's singing, there's crying, there's anger, there's you know just all these things like in a day. And so we're at this resort and I had bought the kids lollipops literally at Disney World, like the size of their head, right? And um, it takes seven years for them to eat it kind of thing. And so when I got them that, we're just walking around this new resort and I'm singing uh, the lollipop song, like lollipop, lollipop. And of course they hated it and were embarrassed and like, dad, shut up, we're not stupid. But then we're looking through our pictures three years later and they don't go, oh yeah, I remember when we went to that amazing brand new Disney World Resort. They were like, oh yeah, that trip, that was the lollipop trip where you sang, that was so fun. Because what, they... They don't care about Disney World and all the things. You know what they care about? Having fun with their mom and dad. We just got back from the water park. And uh, Charlie, he's my quality time guy. He loves quality time. So he'll be like right at your side. So the girls went off to do all the water slides at Great Wolf. And we get off the slide. And my Je- and Jess is like, she just loves all that stuff. And so this is what Charlie and I would do. We'd get off the slide. We'd be like, I wonder where the girls are now. And I'd be like, hold on, just listen. Because all you'd have to listen for is wherever Jess was. Because you'd hear, ah, like going down the slides. <laughs> In the two days that we were there, there was one person who got yelled at the most to stop running in the water park. It was none of our kids. It was my wife. Ma'am, please stop running. I've told you every day. She got special wristbands as like the runner in the, you know. Kids need to see you having fun. They need to see you having fun and having crazy. You need to have it in your marriage. You need to have it with your kids. Unfortunately, we take it too serious at times parenting and the responsibility and that's good but if we're not careful all we become is our kids parole officers excuse me um i see that there's a violation today and every day it's like this thing that we're on them about we're on them about we're on about. Um, excuse me i can tell that um, uh, according to section c3 here on the parenting guide you they need to see you having some fun can i get it amen ecclesiastes 9 9 even talks about this in marriage. It says this, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. And then the passage goes on to talk about all the heaviness of life and all the stuff that comes with just doing normal human life here on planet earth. But it says this, do this, enjoy life with your, life, with your wife, whom you love. Here's a couple strategies that I'm going to give you. Now, you can't make these expectations. You can't force them on your spouse. I'm just giving you some ideas here because I know we all come from different walks of life when it comes to how we date and how we interact with our spouse. But here's a couple of really good ideas. I think every seven days, you should have a date night. How am I going to do that? Well, you plan it. You plan it. It's just like you plan anything else and you keep that appointment. You need to plan date nights and keep those appointments. Can I get an amen today? Another one I think you need to do is I think seasonally, seasonally, we got four seasons in Michigan. They're all in the month of February. <laughs> we have four seasons. We have four seasons. You should take a trip, at least a day trip 
and, and with your spouse. You get away. You go spend some time together. You get away from all the distractions. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Jess and I, one of our favorite trips that we took last summer, we went to this just most amazing, super fancy town called Muskegon. <laughs> we did. And she'll tell you, it was one of our funnest trips we took last summer. Now they're renovating and making Muskegon really cool in different places. We didn't have to go to Aruba. We went to Muskegon, but it was a seasonal trip that we planned to make sure that we get away and enjoy each other. Can I get amen today? I believe this. Every date night should include these three things. This is what you came here to hear. Every date night should include these three things. The first one is conversation and limited cell phone usage. You don't go out to dinner and stare at your phones together. Now, there's times where you're texting and doing different things and keeping up with babysitters. I get that. But you should be able to sit down. Well, we don't have anything to talk about. Well, you wouldn't say that on your first date if you were dating someone. Hey, uh, nice to meet you. Just so you know, tonight when you take me out, I don't have anything to talk about. You would come up with some things and you would plan it. You need to do the same thing. Why? Because we have a commitment to our marriage. Can I get an amen today? Discovery. Point, the second thing I think that your dates need to have is discovery. You need to go, if you, even if you're just taking a walk, go walk somewhere you've never walked before. Go to a mall and go in a store that you've never gone in before. Go to a restaurant that you've never go, gone before. Go to a store that you've never, or a concert. Go to something that you've never done before. You need to go discover and connect and do something new together. Say, oh, we went on a date. Oh, where'd you guys go? We went on the border. Did you just go to on the border last week? Yeah. They set us in the same booth as last week too. So yeah, it's because they know all you guys do is go down the border. <laughs> let's, gotta, let's spice it up. Let's change it up. Can I get an Amen. And then the third thing that every good date night should include is sexy time. (laughs) Some sexy time. Now, listen, you can't make this a law. You can't make this a rule. You can't hold this accountable to each other. But I'm telling you, people say, we we don't want to plan our sexy time. That's not spontaneous. Well, can I tell you something? Life is not the bachelor or the bachelorette. Last time I checked, when we went frolicking through a meadow, we didn't just stumble upon a hot tub in champagne. (laughs) It's not how it works, okay? But I tell you what does work, communication and trying to plan some things in your week. Well, that's not very spontaneous. Fine. Do you want to have sex or not? (laughs) It's that simple. It's that simple. And so you say, hey, we, we need to, it's okay to make a plan. So say, hey, we got these date nights. And here's kind of, now listen, you can't be rude and, and, and about those kind of things and make it a, a law against each other. Don't do that. But it's okay to plan these things. Uh, sex, and we got young people in here. You say, oh, pastor, no, I'm giving you a head start. This is a good thing for you to know. Listen, sex is God's idea. God is for sex inside of marriage. We'll get to that in a minute. But God is for sex. And listen, he created it. It's his idea. He literally put pleasure points in your body on purpose for you to enjoy. Think about this. This is kind of crazy. I'm pushing the envelope. But listen, when you experience that kind of pleasure, sex, not only are you enjoying it, but God is going like, yeah, good. They're taking full advantage of what I created for them. Isn't that amazing to think about our God? Think about this. In creation, God was like, hey, Adam, um, I'm going to put you here on earth and there's going to be a bunch. Uh, let me just show you around. Hey, see those mountains? And Adam's like, wow, that's amazing. Like, that just is really cool to look out there and see those mountains. That's really satisfying. Wow, that's cool. And God's like, let me just wait. And he's like, oh, those trees, those trees. Wow, look at that forest. That's really cool. That, that like brings me pleasure to look out there and see those trees. And then water. And, and God's like, hey, 
Look at this, this water. This stuff's really enjoyable. Yeah, you get in that water, you relax, you feel good. How about this hot spring? Why don't you sit in that hot spring? And Adam's like, oh man, this feels good. This is really pleasurable. And God's like, you just wait. You think this is good. You got to see what else I got. When you get married, I got something really good for you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? The stigma of like, ah, oh, sex. And I know culture has ruined it, but God is really into seeing his creation fulfill and walk in all that he has, all they have. Uh, I thought about like this, even God in the beginning, Gave us a head start. He's like, um, okay, I made this thing for them. Um, I'm going to give Adam the advantage here. I'm going to put him in the garden naked. <laughs> Start it off right, right at the beginning. I think it's okay to calendar it, plan it. Here's another rule. I talked to a whole bunch of my friends. We, we, we discussed a bunch of this stuff and other pastors, and I've read some books out there. Um, and uh, there's this rule that one of the pastors, Pastor Ed Young, has put in one of his books. Listen, I know that there's times where some people aren't in the mood, and I'm just giving you practical help. Uh, and we'll get back to some of the real spiritual. Uh, I love one of the pastors said that there can be a 48-hour rule. If you're one of the person who declines it, who declines it, says, oh, not tonight. It's now your job in the next 48 hours to initiate it. That's a pretty fair rule. I think I said, hey, you know, not for me. Okay, cool. Guess what? You're on the clock. <laughs> now, don't be rude. Again, don't be rude. But I'm just saying, some of these fairnesses, some of these communications, what does this do? This helps us keep the fun. It helps us keep the fun. We put these things in there. I think you need to flirt again. I think you need to find a way to flirt again. I don't care what your age is. You need to flirt again. I, I think it's, you know, we live in a generation where we have a lot of advantages. Some of you, you're just like, I wish he had stopped. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I had to stop in first service. Second service, I'm going all day. <laughs> but, but flirting is good. It's healthy. God gave you that desire to flirt with one another. Why? Because it helps put fun back in there. Use those emojis. Text each other away at work. <laughs> so just fun. Mess it up. Like, I don't know how to use them. It doesn't matter. Have fun. <laughs> Come home. I'm like, I didn't know that's what the Ferris wheel meant. I'm into it. Let's go. <laughs> that wasn't a real thing, but I'm just saying. Flirt. Just talk. I don't know how to do it. Can I tell you something? Guys, there is no such thing as too cheesy. There's nothing you could say or text or write on a card or do anything to a woman that's too cheesy. I've sent like the stupidest little like like, like little picture, sent it over to her, and and she's like, I saved it. I'm like, you saved that? It's the dumbest thing. That was like a Snapchat filter. What are you doing? She's like, oh, I don't know, but your words were so stupid. I'm like, oh my God. Flirt. Ladies, ladies, it's so easy to flirt. Just text them. I'm naked under these clothes. <laughs> He's good the rest of the day. You're there. You're there. <laughs> uh, I wanted to actually really say a lot. The staff was like, 80% of what you want to say, you can't say. And I was like, well, let me do a class. I'll do a class. And, and they were like, no, you can't do a class. And I was like, well, I don't want to do a class because more people will show up to the class than the prayer meeting, and that'll make me mad. You can't be too cheesy. Just flirt again. Have fun again. Martin Luther. Let me, let me, let me secure it back for some of the reformers. We're, we're in Holland. We're in Zealand here. Martin Luther said this. He said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let the husband make her sorry to see him leave. Yeah, because you're having fun. I'm going to miss you. Get out of here, bro. Uh, aren't you supposed to be at work? <laughs> let's, let's enjoy. Let's connect. Let's have fun again. Can I get an Amen. But equal to the power of that, flirting and sex and intimacy, and there's a whole bunch in there that we could talk about, in that is also the same 
guarding that we need to walk in when it comes to our purity. Sex has a power and it has an intimacy. I believe that this sex is designed because sex reconnects you. That's why every seven days you need to get a date. You need to schedule this stuff. Why? Because it reconnects us together as the scripture was talking about as being one. But it's also under attack. So point number four is this. We must stay pure. One of the greatest attacks on our marriage in this culture is sexual impurity. I believe statistically, but also spiritually, the number one reason for divorce right now is sexual immorality. It destroys what? Everything we just talked about. Intimacy. It destroys fun. It destroys, uh, as we talked about weeks ago, trust and togetherness. All of these things we mentioned, when we allow sexual impurity into our lives, it destroys those things. I believe this. Married, marriage is reserved. The married things we talked about are reserved for married couples. That's why you don't watch porn together to get in the mood. That's sexual immorality. It's sexual impurity. That's why we don't add people to the marriage bed to spice things up. It's the number one growing trend in America right now is adding people. You're literally breaking your marriage covenant because you want to spice things up. We don't allow these things. We have to be people who stay pure. That's why Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality. And it says, for any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint of it. We we like to find the line, especially in youth group. They would always ask me as a youth pastor. They would say, pastor, how far is too far? We need to be like David, who are people who flee from, who run from the line. That's why as a church and as a staff, we understand this, that boundaries don't stifle a marriage. They safeguard them. You'll never find me alone with the opposite sex. We have windows. Now, I'll be alone in meetings, but we have windows where people can see. We do the best that we can as a staff to never be in a place alone with a woman. We also make sure that we never have ongoing personal conversations with the opposite sex. I can't just pick up my phone and ask another woman, how was your day today? You doing good? What'd you do today? That's an ongoing personal conversation that that I don't have that kind of connection with another woman, nor my wife with another man. Are you with me? These are the ways that we make sure there's not even hints of sexual temptations in our life. Why? Because we want to be honoring. We want to protect our marriage. Are you with me today? Uh, Another thing that we do that, that keeps us safe among one another is at any moment, Jess could pick up my phone and look at anything she wants. I don't have anything hidden. She can get into any account. I can get into any account on hers. Why? Because we don't have anything hidden from each other. Why? Because that can be a that can be a hint of possible sexual immorality that we have in our life. Are you with me today? Yeah. People say this to me. I'm, I'm strong enough. No, Pastor, I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. I can handle some of these things that I look at and that I participate with. I'm strong enough. I can handle that. Bro, There are billions upon billions upon billions of dollars being spent in America to make you sexually impure. And that's not even close to talking about the demonic strategy that's happening against your life. Can't even watch the Super Bowl without seeing sexual impurity. Can't even watch the Grammys without demonic and sexual impurity. Are you with me? And so you say, bro, I'm good. I don't need any of those safeguards. No, we need those safeguards and we welcome those safeguards. Can I get amen? I'll close with this. They matter. And God has a plan, a strong plan to destroy your marriage. Because if he can destroy your marriage and it doesn't find restoration, it doesn't find healing, it will take out generations in your lineage. We've got to protect our marriage. I I, I didn't get to share this in first service, but this is how serious I am about this. 
I forget the night that it was. I told Jess right away, but I had one of the most demonic dreams I ever had in my life. I won't share the details because uh, you guys will be freaked out because uh, it involves this building. You'll be like, I'm never going over there again. Uh, I had a crazy demonic dream, crazy demonic dream to the point I don't get scared. I like scary movies. I like all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I woke up, oh, my God. And so, of course, I prayed through it and, and you know, did what I know to do when I have those encounters. Crazy demonic. And it involved, it, devo- it involved a demonic woman that I was seeing. Didn't know the person, but it was just this figure. It involved children, uh, kind of like that were s- sporadic and chase. Just don't, you just sing, just hum or something. You're good. I don't know. <laughs> just give me a ha. No, don't do that. That's how Ariel lost her voice. <laughs> You're good. Thanks, John. Crazy demonic dream. Crazy. Prayed through it. All this stuff's going on. I tell Jess about it. Not kidding you. I knew it was a sexually immoral Jezebel spirit that I was seeing in my dream. Not kidding you. Out of nowhere, like the next day or the day after, because we talked about it as a whole staff, a woman reached out to me on Facebook and threw herself at me. Two days after this crazy demonic dream, I basically could have taken advantage of stepping out of my marriage. Out of nowhere. Of course, I shared it all right away. I'm here to tell you, bro, you think you're strong enough? You don't need these safeguards? You don't think the enemy is insanely unbelievable strategic at destroying your marriage? Why? Because God designed it and it, it, it gives God glory. Are you with me? And so we must be a people who stay pure. And then lastly, we must be people who never give up. Marriage is hard, but it's miraculous. Marriage is hard, but it's miraculous. I do believe in scripture. There's two grounds for divorce, adultery and forms of abuse. But I also believe this marriage will always be as good as you decide it will be. If you've constantly decided in your mind, oh, all he wants to do is control me, manipulate me. He doesn't do enough for me. If all we do is decide that that's what the marriage is going to be, that's what the marriage is going to be. But if in our mind we've decided God's put us together and he's got a plan and we're going to see this plan through to the end and he loves me and we're going to invest in this and we're going to grow together. Can I get an amen? And we're going to forgive each other. That's why Ruth Bell Graham says a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. That's what makes a good marriage. And that's why 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That's what it's about. That's what it's about is saying, hey, we're committed to this. We're sticking this thing through. And with God's help, we're going to find our way to our purpose in this marriage. Can I get an amen? amen? Marriage is hard, but it is miraculous. And God wants us to walk in that. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful. For today, the way that you love us and lead us, God, I pray for every marriage, every person maybe stepping out to be married or those, God, that even experienced divorce. God, I I pray that you work all things together for your glory. Lord, lead us and guide us in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.